You receive an email which looks like it comes from a friend or colleague. They make a friendly request and you respond. Soon enough, you're chatting about the boss, a celebrity, a politician or someone else. And maybe you say something unkind or unflattering about them. But you don't think too much about it because this is a friend and who cares? Sometime later, what you said gets out there on the Internet because you weren't talking to someone you know at all, but a social engineer playing a prank and they got you. But don't worry, you're not alone if this has happened to you because plenty of celebrities and politicians, some in the highest offices in the world, have been duped by this sort of thing. I'm Danny Palmer, this is ZDNet Security Update, and I'm joined by James Linton, social engineer and threat hunter. He's been responsible for some of the most famous incidents of this kind. Thanks for joining me, James. So first of all, what led you into this sort of world? Yeah, I just didn't. Have enough to keep me occupied, I think, to, to sum it up succinctly. So my head started, I guess, picking up on little things that, um, that was to later find out that criminals actually rely on, which is the minimization of um, technical information on kind of user interface on email and, you know, short and short replies, the kind of shorthand lingo that people use um, when sending stuff through. Um, and I just got really interested in how someone's identity was kind of proved off the back of um, what it said was the name and the content of the message. So it seemed to me that if you could match the name, which is fairly easy to do without the correct um, technology protecting you, then as long as you sort of match the, the tone of voice in the, in the message, then why should somebody not believe it? They've had, you know, thousands and thousands of messages that they believe day after day after day so you, you've got all that psychology on your side basically they have to you have to do something it turns out you have to do something pretty pretty weird for them to fall off the hook i suppose we've all had it we've all had an email from the boss saying can you do this or you know can you click here or you know, what what are your thoughts on this and you're right uh, we're so programmed to respond to these sorts of things that it can be sort of autopilot. People just don't really think too much about who they're responding to, which is why uh, this can be so successful when uh, engineering people. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, there's been a, a little bit in the papers recently, um, a few stories where somebody's been tricked into making a payment and then they've later kind of had the organisation they work for um, trying to put the onus on them for making that mistake. And, I think everyone's got to be careful, especially the organisations at the minute, because these are victims of this crime. Um, they're doing it, uh, fulfilling a role at your organisation. So um, if the technology is not in place to prevent it, then if they genuinely want an employee to, you know, completely block everything that's malicious, then you, you have to allow them to do that. And if that's going off and looking through the headers of every single email that comes in, then that's what you'd have to do. Obviously, that's completely impractical so you need the technology and you need the awareness and kind of the combination of the two is kind of the only thing the scale of the problem is immense and it's going nowhere so you have to be pragmatic i think and technology and awareness um, is where they where you're gonna you know change the tide make it harder and for cyber criminals i suppose now has become potentially the time to uh, engage in email based scamming because in many parts of the world a lot of us are working remotely uh, in our in our homes uh, 
email is pretty much the main way we're in contact with a lot of people and it can be fairly simple if you see an email from you know your boss john smith come through and you can't see the email address it is sent from for example or it looks like a legitimate email address you're going to just respond because when we were in offices you could sort of go over to your your boss or colleague and say is this email from you well now when now we're all uh, separate that that's much harder covid19 is the epitome of what i would say um relevancy is in social engineering or being relevant um, that's the, the key thing that you need to leverage when you, you're going into uh, somebody's inbox and you may only know their name um, you may not even know what kind of line of work they work in um, and COVID-19 is, is relevant to such a huge selection of people at the minute that it, it kind of it's going to be taken hopefully more seriously than the rest of stuff um, from a scammer's point of view anyway I think there's also a downside with such a huge theme is COVID because the InfoSec community really did mobilize and they were all sharing uh, intelligence and things like this. So is it going to have made the returns um, that it had previously? I mean, perhaps, but yeah, any kind of um, earthquake, tsunami, all these things have like a set series of, uh, right, let's bolt the fishing scale onto that. Let's bolt the, you know, the, applying for uh, you know funding and relief money and stuff like that so the tactics are fairly similar um but yeah they, they get kind of re repackaged and rolled out and you know if with something like covid we'll get a lot of people that were maybe messing around with uh, gift card scams that have decided to you know step up and try and make the most of it so everyone kind of jumps in at once so there's tons of traffic out there but hopefully um infosec got the jump on the people that are a bit more opportunistic and uh, it, it didn't turn out to be a complete uh, you know, fire sale of stuff. And one thing which helps make this easier for cyber criminals is how um, a lot of business people are doing their work on you know, sending emails via iPads, iPhones, that sort of thing now. Well, it's useful, obviously, and the mo mobiles have revolutionised how we work, but it's a bit more difficult to determine what emails could be fake on a mobile phone isn't it yeah yeah i mean it depends on the technology you've got underlying that uh, i mean there is technology out here out there now which will um you know in, encompass every single medium you can touch on and i think with like you said remote working um people being kind of a, a bit more liable to not cut, cut corners but you know there's a bit more of a looseness there i think um IT professionals have had to invest in, in the best kit they can to try and stop um, errors. Just that natural, you know, everyone's a human, everyone makes an error, um, you know, and, and, and mitigating that, I think it's um, technologies having to suddenly jump along in, in quite big leaps at the minute. So you've famously managed to socially engineer some you know, very big names, very famous names. Um, can you tell us a bit about you know what one one of your uh, most favourite ones or one perhaps uh, surprised you the most that you able that you were able to prank. Um, I mean, I always go over the White House ones, but I think I'm going to 
go for one of my Wall Street ones. I can't remember the actual bank. I'll have to, I'll have to dig it out. I got the CEO to kind of re respond to me um, in a message. And this was a few pranks in. This was after I'd done the Bank of England. So a few more journalists were sort of looking at my Twitter feed by then. Um, so I, I did this slight deception on him, posted it on Twitter. That got published. This was all in the same day. And then I sent the link of that story to another CEO of a bank saying, God, have you seen what's happened to, to them? Um, and he then replied, um, oh, God, yeah, and uh, something, something. And then put, hope this is my real chairman. Obviously, it wasn't the real chairman. He then replied again about some, um, you know, safety measures they had in place. Nothing super granular that was going to affect things. But, yeah, it was just, that was... Um, you know, everyone wants to feel like they're good at something. So I enjoyed that one. What lessons do you think uh, can be learned from all this? Because as you say, uh, social engineering plays such a big part in cyber criminal campaigns. And it, it's, it's good at the end of the day that when you uh, manage to play these pranks on places like uh, White House, banks, uh, government here in the UK, that it was you on the other end and not um, someone with much more nefarious means. Yeah, I think that the Diane Abbott prank was, it was, for me, that was a nice little, I mean, with hindsight. At the time, it was meant to be um, a little bit of, you know, how much could you ingratiate yourself in the run-up to an election? It wasn't, it was, it was down to days before the election. Um, I mean, maybe she didn't have a huge chance of getting in, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, but she was the shadow home secretary, you know, would have been in charge of a hell of a lot of stuff. Um, and I managed to approach her as three different um, kind of characters. I think, yeah, all of them sort of existed. I managed to get her personal email address, offer assistant using the kind of social engineering tactic. Um, I then approached her as a journalist and, you know, journalists are, um, you know, a kind of uh, the, the perfect foil for a criminal in a way especially around times like that because they can send over um you know documents for approval and people in a rush will be you know just wanting to read it and download it and stuff so i was asking her what um, operating system she was on what device she was using and she was you know firing it back to me because that's what you do to a journalist but you know it, it's kind of so all these little gaps started to appear and that's when i, I did start to think you know this is one person on the phone. Imagine if you've got a whole bank of people that are um, incentivized by, you know, sort of nation state style <laughs> setup. You know, that could really cause some problems. So I don't think a huge amount of people took it seriously at the time, but I think enough people took notice for it to be seen with hindsight as um, probably more valuable than it should have been, I guess, to a certain extent. It's certainly got a few conversations going. And at the end of the day, uh, we can have all the sort of technology in the world sort of protecting uh, people and uh, what we're opening and you know, what applications are running on our computers. But the human is still such an important part of the ecosystem. And it's still probably easier to uh, deceive a human than it is to deceive an algorithm. So. I guess if there's a lesson here, it's that organisations um, need to make sure that uh, their the people uh, who work for them, their employees, um, are aware that social engineering is a thing, 
and to know what to do if they think they are they have been potentially uh, socially engineered. There's, there's a lot of really good um, ways now of, of getting that knowledge. Um, I'm going to say into someone that sounds a bit too much like Fraugra, but kind of to to get them to take on board, um, you know, the lessons that need to be learned. And that you don't need to know every threat in a granular way, you know. And, and to a certain extent, some of them are more specific to particular job types. Um, you know, I previously worked as a designer. I had no access to any money in the company. So if you were asking for a wire payment, I'd be a, what's the wire payment? B, sell off type thing. Um, so yeah, it's awareness is great, but the, the technology, because the system is lacking so much as it stands, needs to be, um, you know, doing the heavy lifting because otherwise it's just emails a great thing. I think um, I can send out tons of overly long emails that nobody reads, but I think. If I suddenly got paranoid about using it, then that would just negate all the all the benefits. And if you think of all the super advances that you see in films and stuff, all of those rely on the fact that you can trust the technology enough to not be able to override it with a huge hammer partway through. You know, if you're climbing into your, um, you know, your automatic sauna and it's locking the door and turning the heat up, or you know, all these things sort of go off the back of quite a rudimentary bit of security, which even voting machines don't seem to even be able to achieve yet. So I, I think we've still got a very long way to go. And, you know, this kind of firefight of companies and, and tech companies is is probably what's necessary to keep driving on the uh, evolutions, I guess, and, and to keep pushing it along because we haven't reached that pinnacle of safety for everything yet. And uh, one of them, things is that obviously as big organizations fortify themselves then the lower hanging fruit beneath that it may possibly suffer so um, you've always got to have a slight look over your shoulder and make sure you're not just you know leaving them with a huge problem and just kind of absolving yourself of responsibility because it's everyone's responsibility very much so um, there's a lot there for everyone watching here to uh, think about here and it's hopefully some really interesting and useful advice they can take home and you know, use within their own organizations or even personal lives so yeah thanks uh, for joining me james it's been very much appreciated and uh, thanks everyone for watching this has been zdnet security update and be sure to uh, keep reading zdnet for latest news articles on security uh, keep subscribed to the youtube channel for more zdnet security update videos and this is also available in podcast form now so you can listen to it uh, via all the places you get your podcasts from as well. Uh, thank you for watching.